Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 302. Today's episode is all about unlocking cognitive superpowers as you age. What really changes is how we learn. So when we're kids and teenagers, we learn by playing. And that produces a whole lot of neurochemistry. You don't have shame. You don't have embarrassment. You don't have a lot of the the baggage that, that adults carry into learning situations. And when you learn using a deliberate play methodology, it massively amplifies learning. That motor learning window reopens. So one of the reasons I could teach myself to park ski at 53 is because we created a very specific learning protocol, but it was incredibly playful. Very, 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 very playful. And a lot of the neurochemicals that show up in play amplify learning. Play also uh, acts sort of as a flow trigger and flow further amplifies learning. So you can get a lot of the same effects that you got as a little kid, literally by just trying to learn like you learned as a little kid. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. If this is your first time giving your mind a little love, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Mind love is a habit, and the more you give your mind that love and intention, the better you'll feel about yourself and your life. Plus, it's really a win-win because more subscribers means Mind Love attracts even more amazing guests to bring you their wisdom. So don't forget to subscribe. What do you believe about your brain as you age? If you're like most people, you expect that you'll get a little bit slower, you'll become a little more forgetful, and you'll have difficulty learning new things as easily. And that's if you're lucky because about 10% of senior adults in the U.S. will develop dementia, while another 22% will have at least mild cognitive impairment. As scary as those stats sound, they may make sense. A bunch of things happen to our brains as we age that affect the way that it works. Our brains actually shrink. The main areas affected are the frontal cortex, the hippocampus, and the prefrontal cortex, which are the areas associated with memory, thinking, and reasoning. We have reduced blood flow, which means less oxygen and nutrients to your brain cells, which can impact cognitive function. And then our neurotransmitters decline, which is the way that our brain cells communicate with each other. When certain neurotransmitters decline, like dopamine and serotonin, it can affect your mood, motivation, and other brain processes. Our synapses change, too. Some connections weaken, which can mean slower information processing, and this can make it really difficult to learn new information. So all of this sounds kind of scary and hopeless, right? For some reason, in the last few years, I've become very aware of the mortality of my brain. I'm pretty sure if I had a biggest fear, it would be losing my mind. I love to learn. I think the joy of life is that we can keep gaining more wisdom over the years. Some people think their prime was when their waists were the smallest and their skin had the least amount of wrinkles. But I don't even think I've reached my prime yet. Every year gets better because I know a little bit more and I find a little more peace. So the thought of losing all that I've worked for is a little bit terrifying. But what if I told you that aging can actually unlock cognitive superpowers like creativity and intelligence, and that our ability to learn doesn't have to slow down as long as we know the right way to learn as our brains age, and that knowing these things can actually help us learn better at any age? While aging does correlate with certain structural and chemical changes in the brain, We now know that many cognitive abilities can be maintained and even improved later in life. In fact, our 50s are a bit of a sweet spot for accessing deeper levels of intelligence, creativity, empathy, and wisdom. So old dogs can learn new tricks, and sometimes even better than younger dogs, but only if learning is approached in a deliberate way. Don't worry, we'll get into it. 
So that's what we're talking about today. We'll dive into all the latest research on peak performance aging. Plus, you'll learn how to unlock all of the cognitive perks as you get older. We'll also delve into all the fascinating science of learning, play, and flow, and explore how these things can help keep our brains sharp and strong. Our guest is Stephen Kotler. He's a New York Times bestselling author, an award-winning journalist, and the executive director of the Flow Research Collective. He is one of the world's leading experts on human performance, and he's also the author of 11 bestsellers out of 14 books, which include The Art of Impossible, The Future is Faster Than You Think, Stealing Fire, The Rise of Superman, and Bold and Abundance. Three key things we will learn are the anti-aging benefits of flow states and how to get into them on demand, how forgiveness unlocks wisdom and empathy, and how to use dynamic play and novel environment to speed up and enhance learning at any age. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Stephen Kotler to the show. It is so good to be with you, Melissa. So what inspired your latest work on peak performance aging? 17, 18 different, like different things. Um, but really, so the bulk of my work, I spent my career studying flow. Just for those who don't know, it's an optimal state of consciousness where we feel our best and we perform our best. That doesn't help you. It's any of those moments of like rapt attention and total absorption. You get so focused on what you're doing. Everything else just starts to melt, melt away and all aspects of performance, mental and physical, go through the roof. The godfather of flow science is a man named Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. He, uh, he passed away during COVID. The last conversation we had before he died was a couple months be be before COVID started and I had been studying peak performance aging in various aspects for a while, like, but at, it, I hadn't really put it together or done anything with it. And I'm talking to, uh, to Mike and I had asked him a question about the role action sports that actually played in his life because he was a lifelong mountaineer, hiker, avid hiker, lived in Montana, did a lot of rock climbing. And there's sort of this like long pause in the conversation. And I'm like, I'm on the other line going, did I, did I fund him? Like, oh my God, you know what I mean? Like, this is this is me, I chicks up your height. Like, did I piss him off? Like, there's a two minute silence and I, I don't know what's going on. And suddenly he says, Stephen, you gotta be careful. And it comes out of nowhere. And, I, and he's had a stroke recently. And my next thought is, oh shit, maybe his mind is is gone. Like, what, what, like, oh shit. And I was like, well, Mike, what do I, what do I have to be careful about? He's like, well, you do something your whole life for flow and it's your, it's your main source of flow. And then you get to be my age and forget about mountaineering and forget about climbing rocks. Some days I can't get out of bed. You need a backup plan. You got to be careful. And this was like literally like the godfathers of flow psychology talking to me, like one flow junkie to another, have a backup plan for how you access flow later in life. That was actually the origin story. What my backup plan was, was very unusual and weird. And there's a lot of reasons for it, but it all started what pulled it all together was this conversation with, you know, one of my great mentors who, you know, was just like sort of talking to me man to man very late in his life. And, you know, the fact that he he died, that was the very last thing we said to each other. And he, he passed away after that um, sort of, I think, made it a little more emphatic. So that's actually where it came from. That's where it all started. And you have to do something with that, given it's the last conversation. <laughs> <laughs> right. What, what choice do you have at that point? Um, my choice for a backup plan was unusual, but nonetheless, I got my shit together and got a backup plan. And that and, that, and that's the story in our country, the new book. And so before you dove into all this research and figured out everything we're going to talk about today, what did you know about peak performance for the bulk of your life versus when you're an older age? So- What's interesting is peak performance, Just let's just define it as a place to start because 
Peak performance is nothing more or less than getting our biology to work for us rather than against us. So everybody's capable of peak performance. It's all sort of built in part of being human. It's just about getting our biology to work for us. Peak performance aging is about getting our biology to work for us rather than against us when applied to the challenges and opportunities of aging. That's all we're talking about in, in this. And aging, we could be talking about over 30, over 40, over 50, over 60, over 70. Like I'm not putting a number on one that in fact, a lot of the research on peak performance aging says it starts young. So whatever age you're at, interventions, like there's data showing you can, interventions in your late 80s still make a big difference. But there's also data that says, hey, there's stuff you could start doing in your 20s and 30s that really matters and 40s. But what shifted for me in to answer your question, I didn't realize that was the case. I thought something different happened in the second half of our life. I, um, even though I didn't completely believe this, the traditional thinking of aging, what I like to call the long, slow rot theory is what most people believe, which is all of our physical skills and all of our mental skills decline over time. And there's nothing we can do to stop the slide. So I, I didn't believe in all of that. I, I knew there were some holes in it, but as, as a general thought, before I really deep, dove deep into this work, I believed more of that than I thought. And it affected how I thought about peak performance later in life. And it turns out, I'll give you uh, an example from Me High, and this is actually why, I didn't know this until after he died, but this is why that conversation happened. His last study, the very last study he worked on, which was published after he died, flow underpins peak performance. And his last study was, do we lose our appetite for flow over time? Does it go away at any point in our life? Does it, right? And what the research showed is, and they, they studied, it went up to like 90 years old. I don't think there was anyone in the study group older than that. But peak performance and our, and our ability to get into flow and our desire to, to get into flow doesn't change. It only it falls off when our physical skills sort of totally fall apart. And it was exactly why he gave me that advice. When your primary flow activity and you can't use it to get into flow, if you don't have a backup plan, you're going to get locked off. That's what he had saw. That was he, he must have seen the data on this study that I saw two years later when it came out posthumously. Um, he must have seen it right about the time we talked on the phone, which is, I think, where that came from. So um, it turns out actually a lot less changes over time than we suspected. That's fascinating because I can see how our ability to get into flow for most people, if you're not trying to do something to counteract it, can decrease with age. But I would not have guessed that continuously getting into flow actually aids in our aging, helps us age more gracefully. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. 
I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash MindLove. Just go to Indeed.com slash MindLove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash MindLove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I would not have guessed that continuously getting into flow actually aids in our aging, helps us age more gracefully. There's a lot here to unpack in that in that statement. Let's start with the with the simplest place, which is there are nine known causes of aging. And there may be more, but there are nine known causes of aging right now. And the good news is there are now like billions of dollars and dozens of biotech companies aimed at each and every one of those. But what do they all have in common? Inflammation. It's the commonality. Inflammation ties directly to stress. So anything you can do that lowers the amount of stress hormones and stress neurochemistry in your system automatically combats aging. As we move into flow, one of the things that happens is all the stress hormones are pushed out of our system. And they're actually replaced by a bunch of neurochemicals. The neurochemicals that come in all radically boost the immune system. So you're lowering stress is getting flushed out, which solves a lot of the challenges of aging. And then your immune system is getting boosted. So that's part one. The second thing, flow has flow states have triggers, preconditions that lead to more flow. The most famous is known as the challenge skills balance. It's this idea that Flow follows focus, so it shows up when all of our attention is in the right here, the right now. We pay the most attention to the task at hand when the challenge of the task slightly exceeds our skill set. You want to stretch but not snap, right? Now, um, as a result of that, when on the other side of a flow state, we've gained, we've learned. Learning goes up in flow, 240 to 500% above baseline, so huge acceleration in learning, in flow. But additionally, we get this sense of mastery on the other end of flow. And inflow, the state itself, one of its core characteristics is it gives us a sense of control. This is so we don't feel peak performance on the inside. We feel like, oh, wow, I'm controlling things I can't normally control, right? This could be me Tuesday morning, 6 a.m. I'm a writer and I'm doing things with my words that I don't normally do at Tuesday at 6 a.m. It could be a, a businesswoman leading a meeting and everything's going perfectly and every conversation, the ideas are just cool. Okay. Doesn't doesn't really matter. Um, but when uh, we experience that sense of control and that sense of mastery that flow provides, these are two of the most powerful positive emotions humans get to experience. Maybe the two most powerful. There's some debate. But the point is, when we experience very, very powerful positive emotions like that, the body automatically produces more T cells and more natural killer cells. T cells are what How's the immune system, right? They fight disease. Natural killer cells target tumors, other sick cells, other problems with aging. So flow itself is this anti-aging medicine. We also know flow underpins happiness, well-being, overall life satisfaction, purpose, meaning. All of those qualities that contribute to a, a life well-lived and really matter sort of later in life. And finally, the final thing I have to say, and this was... Uh, Except me High's work, actually, much more uh, than anybody else's. He wrote, I don't know, 20 books on flow, and 11 of them or 10 of them covered the idea of flow and adult development. So Chicksemi High has maintained, and I completely agree with him, that flow is one of the main drivers of adult development. So on the other side of a flow state, we've been talking about you're more skillful, you're more complex, you're more adaptive. Also, flow automatically extends empathy and wisdom. So what's the, when we become more mature, we're adding skills, we're adding empathy, we're adding wisdom, all those things, flow seems to drive us through not just adulthood, but a successful adulthood. And so the more flow you get, I, the way I like to put it is flow doesn't just make life worth living, it makes a whole lot more life worth living. 
Well, it's apparently working. I was talking to my husband about you this morning and he saw a picture and he's like, wait, that guy's in his 50s? What? <laughs> and he was really excited because I read the book Stealing Fire. It was one of my favorite books. And he is has read the book, um, The Future is Faster Than You Think. We didn't realize it was the same author until I was prepping for this. And then I was like, oh my gosh, guess who I'm talking to today? And then it was about action sports, which he's super into. So I was reading excerpts and he's like, you're so lucky. You just get to talk to this guy. Ask him this, ask him that. But it's working even on the the visuals of the aging, not, not just in the skills of the aging. Well, that's very sweet of you to say. I'm not sure I agree. I think one of the things with aging is you have to get past the aesthetics. The, you really do. Otherwise, otherwise, it's just going to sort of crush your soul. You just got to find a way to put that down. Because, um, you know, it is a strange. So I I don't have a lot of mirrors in my house. I don't actually look in the mirror very often. I'm an introvert. I, I'll spend weeks and weeks alone. And if I go in public, I'm usually skiing. So I'm wearing a helmet and nobody sees me, right? So I, I go actually a while without really paying attention to what I look like. And then I'll travel and I'll go to a hotel. I'll walk in and I'll be like, wait, that that guy looks different than what I thought you looked like. I mean, <laughs> it feels different inside. <laughs> That's how I felt for like the whole, however many years people were wearing masks. I saw like my post office lady for the first time without it. And I'm like, oh, I did not guess. That's what the lower half of your face looked like. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But you mentioned how... You know, we think of aging, we all probably have these different subjective pinpoints and like, oh, well, old is this or old is that. But in the very beginning of your book, you talked about how uh, you taught yourself basically uh, how to park ski in your 50s when it's not supposed to, It wasn't. it's not widely believed to be possible after age 35. As a 37-year-old, I'm like, man, I'm already past my peak. <laughs> I did teach myself to snowboard back in, when I was 29. So thank God that I got that in there. But when is the typical kind of, I don't know, curved point where you're over yeah, the so hill? Yeah, so there's really, that's the whole point. We used to think all these skills, mental and physical decline over time. We now know it's, that's true, by the way. They do. Some of them will start in our 30s to decline. Strength, for example, starts in our 30s to decline 1% per decade, except huge, enormous caveat that nobody like, so you have to understand this low, slow rot theory. It sort of dates back to Freud and from like Freud, 1904, I think is the date when he made the comment that sort of kicked this off to like mid nineties. All we did is prove Freud, right? Like we figured out all the things that decay over time. This is the story. Most people know they don't know what's happened from like 96 forward. And what we've learned since then is every single skill, well, not every, but most, the vast majority of the skills we used to think declined over time. We now know they're use it or lose it skills. So if you don't stop using these skills, you get to hang on to them and even advance them far later in life than anybody thought possible. Even better, as we enter our 50s, if we sort of get it right, we gain access to a whole suite of cognitive superpowers. So there are changes in the brain starting in our 40s and our 50s, and they're really beneficial. They're not negative. We get access to whole new levels of intelligence, whole new levels of creativity, whole new levels of empathy, and whole new levels of wisdom. And um, all of this starts to turn on in our 50s. So in other words, the idea that the old dog can't learn new tricks is actually totally wrong. The new research is that, wait a minute, old dogs are actually better at learning a bunch of tricks than new dogs and can probably learn all the same things. Um, as new dogs, if you alter how learning is approached. So I'll give you a simple, uh, simple, couple of simple examples that, that speak to this. One, VO2 max. This is our upper respiratory capacity, right? When you're really pushing your lungs, um, you're sprinting, bump skiing, any of those sorts of things. Um, used to, this used to be like the hammer that anybody would, if you were optimistic about aging and somebody knew anything about the topic, they would beat you with VO2 max. Because everybody knows it starts to climb and you're 25 at 50, it really falls off a cliff. And then they started measuring the VO2 max of octogenarian triathletes. Just like, let's just see what it is, right? These are people who started training in their 50s and have continued training through their 80s. They have the VO2 max of healthy 35-year-olds. The world record is actually a guy who thinks, I think he's 88 and I want to say it's 25 so that's just one example. The second example is something I want to speak to directly that you spoke to directly. One of the reasons we believe park skiing was impossible 
for any learn over age 35 is we have a motor learning window, right? We've all heard about this. If you're not a gymnast or a ballerina by age you know, 12, don't even bother because this window shuts and it really closes completely at 25 or so we thought. And it turns out the window does sort of shut and there is changes in like there are changes that make it a little more difficult to learn. But what really changes is how we learn. So when we're kids and teenagers, we learn by playing and that produces a whole lot of neurochemistry. It, 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 you don't have shame. You don't have embarrassment. You don't have a lot of the, the, the baggage that, that adults carry into learning situations. And when you learn using a deliberate play methodology, it massively amplifies learning that motor learning window reopens. So one of the reasons I could teach myself to park ski at 53 is because we took a very playful, like part of, we created a very specific learning protocol, but it was incredibly playful. Very, 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 very playful. A lot of the neurochemicals that show up in play amplify learning. Play also uh, acts sort of as a flow trigger and flow further amplifies learning. So you can get a lot of the same effects that you got as a little kid, literally by just trying to learn like you learned as a little kid and going, going back to that. So it's stuff like that. Some of it is it doesn't decline over time. We were wrong. Some of it is it declines over time, but we now have special ways to deal with it or treat it. Or some of it is um, it's really not what we thought it is thought it was like like the play window that 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 is really much more in our control than we believe. That does make sense given that we tend to approach things with such greater seriousness later on in life than we do earlier on. And I'm always getting on my soapbox about how our educational system kind of dampens our creativity to make us fall in line and workers rather than <laughs> thinkers or creators. And so I'm curious though, what does adding an aspect of play look like when we're trying to learn as adults? So let me back up for a second, give you everything you need to know about peak performance aging in a sentence, which has the word play in it. We'll break apart the sentence. So I, it's easier if I give you the full picture and then we break apart the elements. So let me start at the very beginning because it's really, this is where it gets really important. So we used to think cognitive decline was inevitable and dementia and Alzheimer's are just standard byproducts of aging. And then starting in the 90s, this was the, these were the first fractures. They were, there's all these studies that were done on the Sisters of Notre Dame, very famous group of nuns, really devoted to education, really devoted to lifelong learning and very into science. So they agreed to, full cognitive physical testing every year of their life. And then they donated their brains to science after they died. And when they started autopsying the brains, they started to realize that tons of these women, despite like performing really well and having really complicated jobs and teaching and, and, and everything else into the, like, even their hundreds, they autopsied their brain and they were like filled with Alzheimer's tangles, plaques, brain was just like rotted out. There was nothing left. They were like, holy shit. What happened here? This woman was performing perfectly, but you look at her brain, she's a mess. The question then, same question got asked by about Reagan. That was the real impetus for a lot of this work. He ran America with advanced Alzheimer's in his second term. And a bunch of, when it was revealed that he has Alzheimer's in his second term, which happened around 97, a bunch of neuroscientists went, how do you run a country with advanced, like what? How is that even possible? So the result of all that is a discovery of what's known as cognitive reserve. Cognitive reserve is sort of the brain protection against Alzheimer's, dementia, and cognitive decline. If you have a big cognitive reserve, you can stave off all of those issues. So what creates cognitive reserve? Two things, wisdom and expertise. Wisdom and expertise. So most of the decline in the brain happens in the prefrontal cortex. If you want to back up the prefrontal cortex, you need birth of new neurons and new neural nets really diverse, wide neural nets. That's what wisdom and expertise are. They're these big, diverse, wide neural nets, lots of redundancy. So let's say Alzheimer's or dementia goes and attacks this spot. It doesn't matter. You got seven backup copies of the idea over here, right? So cognitive reserve is why lifelong learning matters. So what's the best way to learn is the next question. If you want to rock to you drop and increase lifelong learning and, and stave off cognitive decline and all that stuff, you want to engage in challenging creative and social activities that demand dynamic, deliberate play and take place in novel outdoor environments. That's the full, like 
That's in a sentence, peak performance aging, that's what we're talking about today. We can now break apart those things. Challenging creative and social activities. A lot of this is about one, training down risk aversion. Risk aversion goes up over time. You want challenging activities because it forces you to take chances and you have to do that or you're gonna start producing too much fear, too much norepinephrine. And I talk about those cognitive superpowers that come on. If you have too much fear, they'll get blocked. Challenging activities stretch our brains, stretch our bodies. Social, peak performance aging demands social contact. We need the neurochemicals that underpin social bonding, really, really crucial. And other people keep our brains really, really active. So often the mo one of the most important things you can do for peak performance aging, robust social ties, maintain robust social ties. If you look into any, any of the communities where people are exceptionally long lived, the so-called blue zones, they have they spend, they'll spend six hours a day on family and friends and connection. Really important that you don't have to go to that extreme, but really important. Creative activities are, are interesting because all those superpowers of aging, if you want access to them, creativity is sort of what starts the chain, this going in the brain. So if you're not being creative in your fifties, you're not going to gain access to these superpowers. That's the first half. Dynamic, deliberate play is the middle part. And that's sort of more specifically what you asked about. Dynamic. So when I say our physical skills decline over time and you can train them up, what do you want to train? Strength, stamina, balance, agility, and flexibility. If you put those five together, that's dynamic. When an activity is dynamic, it means strength, stamina, flexibility, balance, and agility are all being trained. So what are dynamic activities? Skiing is one example. Tennis is a great dynamic activity. In fact, when they look at traditional sports and longevity, tennis actually tops the list. It's challenging, it's social, it's creative, it demands dynamic activity, it's all the muscle groups. Deliberate play is the opposite of deliberate practice. Deliberate practice is Anders Ericsson's famous idea about the past as path towards expertise. And Anders um, himself pointed out that um, that is true, but only in certain kinds of skills. And in most other skills, deliberate play outperforms deliberate practice. So what's the difference? And that's the answer to your question. Deliberate practices repetition with incremental advancement. I'm going to do the same thing over and over, slight amplification of the challenge. Deliberate play is repetition without repetition or repetition with opportunities for improvisation. So you do the same thing you did last time, then you improv a little bit on top of it in a playful, fun manner. It turns out for amplified learning, deliberate play, as we talked about, massively outperforms deliberate practice. So when you, it doesn't matter what activity you're approaching, right? I can teach you how to samba dance. Actually, I can't teach you how to samba dance, but somebody could teach you how to samba dance. And you could just go step by step, deliberate practice, repetition with, you know, incremental advancement, or you can be more playful along the way. It burns out if you're more playful along the way, you'll learn faster. And finally, the last bit, why do you want those activities to take place in novel outdoor environments, which is the last bit of this? Two reasons, three reasons, actually. One, novelty is a flow trigger. So we get when we're in novel environments, it drives dopamine to our system, drives focus into the present, drives us into flow. Two, Outdoor environments, natural environments, as most people know at this point, lower stress levels. We can talk about the science of why that happens, but 20-minute walk in nature will outperform most SSRIs in treatment of depression, um, especially mild to moderate. So really powerful. And peak performance age, aging is about inflammation. So anything that lowers stress levels is really good. The last bit, novel outdoor environments, why does that matter? We've been talking a lot about cognitive reserves where we started. We talked about neurogenesis, the birth of new neurons, the birth of new neural networks. So the adult brain, contrary to what we believed up to about 1995, um, does continue to birth new neurons. In fact, the adult brain births about 700 a day up until the day you die. The question is where in the brain do these neurons show up? Most of them show up in the hippocampus, which is a part of the brain that does long-term memory and location does place. It's packed with place cells and grid cells. Why? From an evolutionary perspective, we were hunter-gatherers. So remembering where you were when you got attacked by the tiger or where there was that ripe fruit tree or that water and all, that's survival. The brain is specifically designed to remember when you have emotionally charged experiences in outdoor environments. That's what it was designed for. I said at the start, peak performance is about using our biology, getting our biology to work for us rather than against us. This is why novel outdoor environments, you amplify neurogenesis, you amplify the preservation of neural networks, you lower stress levels, and you increase novelty and access to flow. Huge, massive benefit from 
that, that part. So how you approach play, repetition by repetition, a little bit of improvisation. Where do you want to play? You want to play outside if you can. So this is really key, by the way. If you go on to charts where they look at activities and longevity, like joining a gym will give you, I think, 1.5 extra years of life. Swimming is like three, cycling is four, and then you get to like badminton. Uh, or uh, tennis or skiing or these outdoor activities. And then you get like nine, 10, 12. Um, and this is one of the reasons why. So if you get your biology working for you rather than against you, it's a really big impact on health and longevity. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. I'm suddenly feeling really glad that I invested in learning to snowboard. I often say, because learning to snowboard was not easy. They say that learning to ski is easier in the beginning, but it's harder to get good. Whereas learning to snowboard is harder in the beginning and then easier to get good. That's I at have least to say, rumor. I think learning to snowboard, <laughs> I learned to snowboard. It, it is one of the more terrifying things I've ever done. Because you have the most violent falls. Skateboarding <laughs> wins. Skateboarding is the most violent mm -hmm. falls ever. But snowboarding in the beginning, when you clip your toe side and go in face first, oh my, does that hurt. Oh my gosh. Yeah, getting butt pads was a game changer. But the, I feel like the only reason that I actually stuck it out was because I was actively falling in love with my husband and I needed to impress him. And so I'm like, yes, I'm, I'm going to get up and I'm going to pretend that I'm not in so much pain. But, uh, <laughs> you do it on one thing that I, I want to say, because adults have a lot of pride. They make amazing body armor at this point. I discovered it through mountain biking. I was a downhill mountain biker and you have to wear body armor, but I now ski in it all the time. I like, I'm a big fan of, because the one thing that is true, older adults take longer to heal right? That's still true. It's not going to stay true for long because that's a stem cell problem and stem cell and regenerative medicine is really advancing quickly. So I think five, six years, we're going to see that problem start to go away a little bit. The other thing I want to say is one, you're definitely not as fragile. Most people are not, you're not as fragile as you think you are. Two, that regenerative medicine has gotten really good at like tendons, ligaments, and bones. Like a lot of stuff that five years ago we couldn't treat at all or meant surgery is now outpatient treatable. So the, a lot of stuff is changing technologically around that um, as well. Um, but the body armor is getting really, really good. Um, but there's also like, that's a lot in our country is about kind of an alternate learning protocol that older adults can employ. That's a lot safer, right? Like I did not want to get injured. I've broken a lot of bones. I did not want more surgery. It was really important to me. And sure, there were nicks and cuts and bruises and stuff that went wrong along the way, but I didn't need surgery. And that was like, that was the, the whole goal was don't have, don't no more surgery. So, and, and it just allows, it allowed me to be more fluid. Cause you know, after a few falls, then I'm like overcompensating, hoping not to fall and I'm all stiff and it's more difficult to learn. And then I fell once with my butt pads and I was like, oh, this is a game changer and was able to loosen up again, which just made it easier to approach. But I'm curious, you talk about how, at a certain age, we actually unlock these cognitive superpowers. What is it about aging that helps us to unlock a different ability than we did when we were younger? So it's three things. The first is genetics. There are just certain genes that only turn on with experience, 
right? We talk about this as epigenetics, really, but like that's what we're saying, right? Have these experiences, encounter these environments, these genes turn on. So that's part one. Part two is, so for most of your life, the two sides of your brain, they don't really work in opposition to one another, but they don't really cooperate. It's sort of like a, a very noisy democracy, democracy, <laughs> right? Like it, it's sort of a lot like Congress in that, in that way. Like they're not quite working together, but they're working together because they have to. In your 50s, the two hemispheres start cooperating like never before. And this increases 50, 60, 70 into our 80s when it's at its most robust. And in our 50s, the brain says, oh, look, we've got these underutilized regions and you're not going to use them so we can use them for other stuff. And so you get backups and redundancy and more sort of brain power, more neurons being applied to problems. And it's these changes that unlock um, some of the cognitive superpowers that happen in aging. There's other stuff going on. We become, um, the other thing that happens over time, uh, which I think really impacts some, some of these superpowers is we the amygdala, which is the, this, it does a lot of different things in the brain, but it does a lot, it's, it's fear, right? And the amygdala becomes less reactive over time. So we become braver over time and um, actually slightly more optimistic. They, so this is another thing that they figured out is that there's, there's this, one of the old ideas around the long slow rot theory is that aging is a time of loneliness and depression and like it's built in and there's nothing you can, and none of that's true at all. In fact, we know overall life satisfaction goes up. We know meaning and well-being goes up and the very things that produce, cause loneliness and depression quiet down a little bit. So there's a bunch of advantages that happen later in life. There are still some disadvantages, right? But we get a lot of advantages. There's a really cool paper written years ago by Marty Seligman, one of the godfathers of positive psychology and Scott Barry Kaufman, one of the world's leading experts on creativity. They were looking at creativity over time. And there's like, they looked at everything in the brain that declines over time and everything that grows over time and how it impacts creativity. It's interesting. There's like, seven or eight things that decline over time. Some of them are very trainable or fixable now, but on their list, there are seven or eight things. And then there's like 22 that increase over time that help in terms of like creativity and intelligence. So on top of the brain changes, there's just like general accumulation of knowledge and things along those lines that also start to sort of really matter in our in our 40s and our, really, I think, in our 50s. Well, thank God for this research then, because I feel like we tend to just sort of naturally flow with whatever we know about life. And for so long, it's been like, well, yeah, you get older and everything starts to suck more, but we have this potential. Yeah, so let me, let me, let me interrupt you for half a second and speak to that in a second, because people want to know, hey, it's peak performance aging, where do I start? Like, what, what do I begin with? And you actually just landed on, on and sort of where you want to start, which is mindset. So this is people, most people don't know this either, but there's amazing research going back to the, to the seventies, a woman named Ellen Langer at Harvard sort of spearheaded this. A lot of other people have, have picked and picked it up saying that sort of that a positive mindset towards aging, which is second half of my life is, is, is thrilling. It's filled with possibility. And my best days are ahead of me correlates to an additional seven and a half years of health and longevity. And you really can't get into the peak performance aging game without that positive mindset towards aging. Now, I will say there's, for me, I'm sort of a skeptical, I'm trained as a journalist. I work as a scientist, you know, skepticism is sort of my business. And um, one of the things I found about like what I call a NARC, a NAR style adventure, right? Um, and NAR, by the way, is action sports slang. It's any environment that's high in perceived risk and high in actual risk, which is both a great description of our later years and sort of a great description of like the gritty mindset we need to thrive in those later years. So that's where the title comes from. But like a NAR style quest, like I taught myself how to park skip. I took a so-called impossible challenge and, you know, actually ended up accomplishing it fairly quickly, like remarkably quickly for what I thought I was getting into when I started. But uh, whatever I used to believe about the second half of my life. Like it got exploded when I started figuring out how to do, you know, 360s and 180s and ski backwards and do nose butter and blah, 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 all the tricks that I can now do slide rails and boxes. And like, it is really hard to have limiting beliefs about my second half of my life when like I just took on an impossible skill in my 50s and, you know, got really, really far. And I don't know uh, if you know this or not, uh, if you finish the book, you know that 
I used a bunch of these ideas, taught myself how to park ski. I had a partner, he used the ideas. He went radically far in a radically short period of time. We said, okay, this is cool, but it's just like the coolest pilot study in the history of the universe, right? It's like two guys do not science make. <laughs> so we came back the next season, we took 17 older adults, um, men and women ages seven, uh, 29 to 68. We used the same principles and in four days on the mountain, most of them, by the way, were intermediate skiers and snowboarders where they started. They weren't experts. They weren't, they just were intermediates. We caught them how to park ski and park snowboard. And you don't have to take my word for it. If you go to narcountry.com and click on the peak performance aging experiment, we were followed around by a National Geographic filmmaker. And there's a, you can watch the whole video of the whole experiment. And then here's the cool part. I don't know why this is, but action sports are not for everyone. I, I don't understand it. I think you're all crazy, but apparently not everybody wants to park ski in their 50s. I don't, I don't know why. So we stripped out the action sports from the protocol. Uh, we actually replaced it with hiking in the outdoors with a weight vest, which actually will hit just about all the things you need to hit. And weight vests are really great for bone density. Bone density decreases over time. And a lot of the things that we actually think go wrong with age cognitively, the problem isn't our brain, it's our bones. The bones are the mineral and nutrient storehouse of the body. And when you lose bone density, like everything in the brain requires calcium. Calcium lives in your bones. So like your brain needs calcium to do its job. And if bone density decreases over time, so we can treat bone density in a lot of different ways, but hiking with a weight vest is one of the best. So we replaced uh, the action sports with hiking with a weight vest because it, it does all this. And then we trained 300 people. And the goal of this training was, hey, we're going to introduce you to the principles. We want to explode your mindset because if you have like what I call a mindset of old, I'm too old for this shit. That mindset is literally killing you. It's literally, you're, it's killing you. You're dying young. In fact, um, when you put that on other people, what I call getting geezered, when you put your, you're too old for this shit on other people, what we normally talk about is ageism. Becca Levy is the, the genius on ageism. She's at Yale. She actually trained other Ellen Langer, who I just mentioned, and she has spent her career looking at the impact of stereotypes on age, of aging on health, longevity, well-being. And suffice to say, ageism, ageism is the most widely held stereotype in the world. It is the only one that is socially acceptable. I mean, I, I walk outside and open my mouth about whatever prejudice stereotype I have. I'm going to be canceled in 10 minutes, right? Like it's not tolerated anywhere except with how we treat the agent. And the truth of the matter is we're killing our elderly young by how we talk about them and how we treat them. It's like the correlations are, are amazing. The mind-body connection through language, especially around aging, is really, really, really powerful. There's 50 years worth of research on this and some of the craziest studies you've ever seen looked, looked at this. But getting rid of that mindset of old and not putting it onto other people is crucial to doing this work. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order.
I'm hoping that having a resistance towards things, I remember learning from Joe Dispenza. He talks a lot about uh, like muting pharmaceutical commercials because he says billions of dollars go in to use such a wording that it suggests that you might have this and you're like more likely to have whatever this commercial is telling you. But he said one of the things that counteracts it, even if you're not able to mute, is just being critical about it in your mind and kind of pushing back like that's not true this is <laughs> i know what you're trying to do yeah and you, I- and you really and you have to sort of do that with um with sort of aging stereotypes too like it's an act active resist re- resistance does actually help help work but it's it's clear from the literature the uh the societies where people live the longest the so-called blue zone societies and all that stuff one of their core characteristics is cross-generational friendships. So a lot of respect for the elderly from the young and a lot of respect for the young from the elderly. And it really matters. So if we want to live a very long, healthy life, that's the kind of community we're looking for with these cross-generational friendships. And that's so important because I was actually just, I think I was watching a Disney movie with my toddler and I was thinking about the idea that other cultures seems like they do have that kind of reverence more so for their elderly than we do here. Whereas we almost like, even when we're very kind, it's like, oh, poor guy. Like we like look at them like children sometimes. It is interesting. I was recently in a, in a Native American community and the first person they introduced me to was the tribal elder. It was a woman, it was like 92, it was the very first, and I, and it just, it just sort of, I mean, it was unrelated. I like, I wasn't there on a peak performance age. Like I was there totally for different reasons, but it just stayed with me. I was like, this is an age friendly society, right? Where the first person you're trotting out to meet the honored guest is the tribal elder that I, it just sort of caught me, right? Like that'd be like coming into a house and, and like we come into a house, we play with the kids, we don't go in immediately and greet grandpa and grand like that's not it's not we do things almost exactly backwards in weird ways that way, which is interesting. I, it just made me think about, you know, stuff like that. One of the things that you said in your book was that in order to produce the brain shifts necessary for peak performance aging, there's a few things that need to happen by certain ages. By age 30, we need to have figured out who we are in this world, solving the crisis of identity. By age 40, we have to figure out how to make a living that's seriously aligned with those five intrinsic motivators that you talked about earlier, curiosity, passion, purpose, autonomy, and mastery. And by 50, we need to forget old grudges and basically clear our emotional states. What is that setting us up for? Uh, say somebody's listening so, to I this. Mean, here, here's the, let, let's talk about the, so the, the thing is all of the shifts in our brain in, in our fifties, it's like multi-perspectival thinking, the ability to see things from multiple perspectives and big picture thinking, all that stuff. When we haven't forgiven ourselves or others, can't develop the empathy, can't forgive others. It's going to block empathy, wisdom. You're not going to see things from other people's perspectives. Now you don't have to get all crazy with it. Like loving kindness meditation, which is of all the like, if you know anything about the research into mindfulness and meditation, most of it's gone into compassion and loving kindness meditation because that's uh, where where sort of the original work was done on Tibetan Buddhists. But there's a lot of benefits. But one of them is this: it's a system designed to help you forgive other people and forgive yourself, and it sort of does the work automatically. That's the great thing about loving kindness meditation. You've never done it; it's just a script. You run a script. It takes about eleven minutes. Um, to do the whole script and it automatically it so a lot of that stuff in the brain takes place in a place called the temporal parietal junction loving kindness meditation automatically activates it it does what you need to happen there so you get the wisdom you get the empathy and remember earlier i said the wisdom is one of those things that's neuroprotective against cognitive decline so if you don't have this forgiveness you're blocking wisdom so literally you're just saying Okay, you know, so like, you know, forgiveness sounds like, really, I got to do this? Well, if you want to hold on to your brain power later in life, yeah, it appears you do. I know it sounds it it sounds cheesy, <clears throat> but I interviewed uh, Dr. Judd Brewer a while back, and he has a whole section in two of his books about the powers of loving kindness meditation. And it's, and so now when I meditate, I, the last few minutes, usually when my dinger goes off, I'll just kind of sit there in the bliss that I've created and either use it to visualize or I will just send out love because 
there's real science that shows that everything that you're sending out is coming right back to you and actually creating physical healing inside your body. There's a lot. Loving kindness meditation is a very potent tool. In fact, here's the craziest thing. Here's the craziest one. So one of the reasons we age is because it's what's known as telomere attrition. So you have a chromosome, right? On the edge of your ends of a chromosome, you have telomeres. Um, they, they're sort of like bumpers on a car and they protect the structural integrity of the chromosome. As genes duplicate, those telomeres shrink and eventually it you know, destroys the chromosomes and, and you start to have problems. So they tested, they wanted to know if meditation would help protect, slow down telomere attrition. I don't even know where the idea came from in the first place. I don't know what led somebody to try this, but they tested focus meditation, like just focus on your breath versus um, loving kindness. And they found that it's either eight weeks or 12 weeks. I don't, I, I'm not sure of loving kindness meditation actually reversed telomere attrition and focus meditation had, it had no impact at all. So on top of all the other stuff, there's a direct anti-aging property to loving kindness meditation. That is fascinating. And a lot of this research has to do with the physical challenges we're willing to embark upon. But I'm curious, does this apply to peak mental performance as well? If, say, somebody's a musician or or an artist or something that doesn't necessarily require such uh, oh, physical sure. skill? Yeah. I mean, one, all those activities are, are, are very flowy activities. Two, my backup plan was learning how to park ski. There's flow reasons why I chose chose that. It just, park skiing gave me a million, skiing's my main flow activity. And I've been skiing my whole life, but I'm a big mountain skier. If by learning how to park ski, I just gave myself a million more entrances into flow than I had before. And it turns out, while it was dangerous to learn, it's not really dangerous once you know how to do it. So like, it's actually a much safer way to get into flow, but I didn't stop there. I've also been teaching myself how to play piano and I've been rebooting. I have a degree in fine art um, from way back when, and I've been like drawing it again on a, on a daily basis. So like, you know, I've been doing those things. Everybody should be doing. Those are my backup plans to my backup plan to my backup plan because they're very flowy activities. They're challenging. They're creative. They're not. One of the reasons I liked skiing and skiing works so well for me is I'm an introvert. And my the problem with peak performance aging for me is the social component actually. And it is really clear, like robust social ties is maintaining robust social ties is more important than uh, like quitting smoking or losing weight if you're obese to peak performance aging, right? Really important. I'm an introvert. I'll spend 14 hours a day, 15 hours a day alone by myself, totally happy. I'm a writer. I, a lot of times I go skiing, I'm, I'm by myself. But if you can drop into group flow, which is the shared collective version of a flow state, right, which you get to team performing at their best, you get all the benefits of belonging, social connection in a lot less time. So for me, skiing with my ski partner, dropping into group flow with him, I could, in the blue zones, they need six hours a day. I don't have that kind of time and I don't like people that much, right? <laughs> like it's not like that's not shit going to work for me. I like dogs, not people. So I had to find ways around actually like the social aspect was really for me. That was the one I was like, Ooh, this is going to be tricky for me. It's, it's really clear. Um, and I, you know, it's funny. I, I recently moved. I lived in New Mexico uh, for 14 years. And by the time I left, I realized I knew um, like four people after 14 years, I met four people <laughs> in the entire state. So um, now I have a lot of friends, a lot of elsewhere and I travel on it, all that stuff. But like, we lived in the country and I knew my wife and I, you know, a, a couple of our neighbors, but I was like, okay, this is absurd. Like you can't, like, this is not safe. This is not peak performance aging. This is the fucking opposite. <laughs> Don't do that again. Figure this out. Well, soon there'll be realistic robots that are <laughs> good enough that you can just have a live in. It'll well, clean. They, that, I mean, talk. I will, one thing to be said, um, the Japanese have been really pushing like robots for elder care forward for a lot of different reasons. They have an aging population. They don't have uh, they don't have kids to to fill that gap, and so they've been really pushing elder care robotics forward. And this is another reason that like we're going to have a much easier time in the second half of our lives. And the funny thing is, they've been they, it actually isn't. I think they did it with old elder people, but they've also done it with kids. Um, robots can actually satisfy some of those social 
social needs in ways that like you wouldn't actually expect. Um, so I don't know if that's good news or bad news for our <laughs> species, but for those of us who are aging, it might make the second half of our lives a little bit easier. Um, I think overall it might be bad news for our species, but I don't know. <laughs> I know we got my grandma. Uh, it's just this dog. It's a not real. It lays there, but it breathes. Furby. No, it just, it, all, the only function it has is when you turn it on, it breathes a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. she's like, she's like, I, I can't handle a dog or a cat right now. And we're like, okay, well, we're going to get you something. At least you can watch will, this one dog. One thing breed. I want to say, this is interesting because most people don't get this. So one of the reasons when you talk about like peak performance, you need social bonding. Psychological safety really matters. You need social bonding. You need robust social networks for psychological safety. A bunch of other reasons. You can pet a, what you really need is the social bonding neurochemicals, oxytocin, endorphins, and serotonin. If you pet a dog or a cat for five to eight minutes, you get the same neurochemicals that you can get from having a robust social life. So they they always tell you things like, hey, religious involvement will keep you alive for longer. That's true. Very, very true. But it's not the religious involvement. It's what you get. Altruistic behavior, pro-social neurochemicals, a couple other things. And you can some of it can be substituted by literally petting a dog five to eight minutes a day or a cat. So it's funny, like with, with some of this stuff, we don't think about the obvious stuff because most people think about it psychologically. Oh, I need, I need social bonding. I need social connection. They don't think about it one level down to the neurochemical level. You don't actually need social bonding or social connection. You need oxytocin, endorphins, and serotonin, um, which is what you're getting from that social connect, that sort of stuff. You need some brainwave entrainment and there's some stuff that you can only get from other people, but it's a lot less than we sort of know. Well, I have to say that your book is one is might be the only book where I enjoyed the appendix as much as I enjoyed the actual book. I'm like, this could be a whole book in itself. You're, I believe, 13 rules uh, for peak performance aging. But the one that I had to read out loud to my husband was number one. And it was basically the concept of always follow the rules, but the rules that you set for yourself. And I loved your concept of saying like, I work for the boss. I've already used it. <laughs> it's the new thing we say in our family now. My husband's like, I'm getting up at 4.30 tomorrow. I was like, is that the boss speaking? <laughs> and he's like, yes. Yeah, it's, no, so it's, tell I, us about I, that. I so Yes, I'm so glad you brought it up. I think that it's the literally, I think the most important thing in the entire book is that rule. So here's the idea. One, I created these rules because I had to make a lot of decisions in conditions where I knew I was going to be scared. Nobody makes good decisions when they're scared. And like survival or like not putting myself in the hospital and not, you know, requiring surgery means making really good decisions in times of duress. I needed rules got to govern my behaviors. That's where the rules came from. But the first rule has to be always follow the rules. And how to do that is, as you pointed out, I don't believe I'm not in charge. I work for the boss. The boss is the version of myself who has my long-term best interests at heart, because in the moment I am like everybody else. I want the quick fix. I want the easy high. I want the easy way out, all that stuff. Um, and part of that, we're like, we're homeostatic organisms. Like, like it is sort of built into our biology. So the boss is the person who creates the rules, right? The boss is the person who makes the to-do list the day before, because day of, I'm like everybody else. I'm like, I got 11 things to do to, you know, um, but the day before, this is what's going to advance my cause the most. And that's what's going on the to-do list kind of thing. And the thing that I want to point out, that and the, the reason this matters so much, is where this really matters the most, in my opinion, is with goal setting. So when I set a goal, like if I say a thing out loud, I'm going to do X, I will die before I don't do it. So if it comes out of my mouth, I do it. I, so I don't call something a goal. I don't say it out loud unless I like I will die before failing to do the thing. And one of the main reasons is this. If you consistently break your word to yourself, like you set a goal and you don't accomplish it, your brain, your body, the number one priority is energy efficiency. Always, always. And so if your brain knows, oh, you might quit in the end, you know, it's not even going to bother producing the energy to get you in the game. You're not, your brain, the minute the task shows up, you're already looking for the easy way out, the reason you're going to quit. And it's all over. 
if you never if, if if you never break your word to yourself, if you say a goal and you always accomplish the goals, what happens is your brain doesn't think quitting is an option. So as soon as you set the goal, your brain starts figuring out, well, how do we how do we accomplish this? Because not accomplishing it is not a choice. And so the brain, and your brain is a phenomenal pattern recognition problem solving machine. It can usually solve the problem if you don't give it any other options. So it's 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 fundamentally important for decision making under duress and, 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 and motivation, a whole bunch of other things. But that that goal bit, I think, is the most important. Well, thank you so much for everything that you've brought to this book and all of your books. They're all so phenomenal. And at, like every paragraph, I was like, <laughs> kept reading out loud because just the way it's written is so uh, engaging and compelling. So for listeners that are interested in learning more about you and your work, where's the best place for them to connect? For sure. If you want to learn more about NAR Country, go to www.narcountry.com. Uh, stephencoller.com gets you to me. If you're more interested in anything, I talked about FlowWise, the Flow Research Collective is, is, is the organization I run where, where we study flow. We train people in flow. FlowResearchCollective.com will get you that. All the links for this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 302. So your challenge for this week, no matter what your age, is determine something that you want to learn. And whatever that is, just make progress on it this week. Whether you buy a book or you just start researching how to learn X, <laughs> whatever it is, decide something that you want to learn. And then this week, focus on different ways that you can bring this into your life. So whether you're learning it in a novel environment, whether you're focusing more time on getting into that flow state with it. And I know it's hard to get into flow state and it's something that you're just learning, but there are times that I get into flow state just by listening to an audiobook in the right conditions. Once you figured out what it is you wanna learn, work for the boss. Just have that be your mantra this week. And maybe you don't apply it to something that you want to learn. Maybe it's just something that you're already doing in your life. You have this goal that you've been putting off. You have work you need to do and you tend to procrastinate. Remember, I work for the boss and the boss is that higher self version of you. Report to him or her. See what it feels like to have somebody other than your mental turmoil running your life and deciding what you're going to do in your next step and let me know how it goes. Reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. Also, don't forget about the Mind Love membership. You can find out all the information at mindlove.com slash membership. You get access to the Mind Love premium feed, and there are over a dozen courses in there with new ones being added every single month, all to help you live your most intentional life. So if you're sitting there thinking, gosh, there's so much to learn on this podcast, how am I gonna learn everything? This walks you through something new to bring attention to in your life every single month. So that's at mindlove.com slash membership. You can also find all of my sponsors at mindlove.com slash sponsors. And if you like this episode, consider sharing it. Just take a screenshot, tag Mind Love Melissa and Mind Love Podcast, or send it directly to a friend. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into Your Higher Frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 